The views expressed in this program are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect the views of 94.9 CHRW. The Defiant is returning to Federation space. I'm ordering our ships to pursue. No. Divert them to the sonar outpost on Davos 2. Why? We need their help to protect the new Ketracel White facility. The Federation has been made aware of its location. Can't the sonar protect it? Are you questioning my orders? That would be foolish. A bit early, isn't it? Even for you. There's something to warm the bones. It's freezing in here. The founder prefers it that way. Well, I don't see why we should suffer. She hasn't been in here for days. Feel free to dress warmly. I wonder what she does in her quarters all day. She didn't look well the last time I saw her. I hope she's not ill. How can a god be ill? Maybe she's not a god. Whether you believe the founders are gods or not is irrelevant. All they require from you is obedience. Good morning, London. It is Thursday, January 12, 2012. I'm Bob Metz. And I'm Robert Vaughn. And this is Just Right on CHRW 94.9 FM. Where we'll be with you from now until noon. No, no, not right wing. Just Right. Fade into color, color into black and white. Under the clothes, everything will be alright. And welcome to the show today again for a new year. 519-661-3600, as always, is the number to call. And you can write us, email us at feedback at justrightmedia.org. And today we're going to be looking at an interesting issue, graphic novels about a graphic subject. You know, in his book After America, author Mark Stein borrows an expression from Leon Trotsky, and that was, you may not be interested in Islam, Robert, but Islam is interested in you. Yes, indeed. And our guest today is interested in Islam and thinks you should be too, if for no other reason than to inform yourself as to what Islam represents. And Robert, I'll let you introduce our guest today. Well, our guest today is Bosch Faustin uh, from California. He was born in the Bronx to Albanian Muslim immigrant parents. He studied at the School of Visual Arts in Manhattan. He's a graphic novelist, and his first novel, Table for One, earned him a nomination for an Eisner Award in 2005, as well as a Russ Manning Most Promising Newcomer Award, also in 2005. And the events of 9-11 has made him a vocal activist against Islamic Jihad, and he's using his craft as a graphic novelist and artist to aid in the fight with works like The Infidel and Propaganda, Drawing the Line Against Jihad. He's given many speeches on the subject of Islam and Jihad. He's been interviewed on The Daily Show and appears regularly on the podcast Don't Let It Go Unheard, hosted by Amy Peacock. Hello, Bosch. Are you there? Yes, I am. How are you, Robert? I'm fine. Thanks for for taking our invitation. And welcome to London, Ontario. (laughs) Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Now, Bosch, do you still call yourself a Muslim? No, I don't. Uh, I lived at Islam years before 9-11, but with 9-11, that brought it all back to me. And where were you on 9-11? I was in uh, Ashley, New Jersey, and uh, the night before, I was in New York taking a course in uh, the School of Arts, 
and um, I do recall it was raining like hell that that night. And the contrast about the next day was gorgeous. Next day, and I, I was um, my sister called up and told me to put on the television, and that was that. So that, how, that's where it all began. So how did how did that affect you personally? Being so close to it is yeah, one thing. It just, uh, I, I mean, I think we all understood after the second plane it was terrorism. You know, very, very, very likely Muslim terrorism. And uh, I just felt a serious, deep need to find out um, what Islam truly meant. Because, we, you know, I never studied Islam, even as a so-called Muslim when we were young. Uh, no one in my family really read the Quran. They had the Quran. We had the Quran in the home, but no one cracked it open and took a look at it. We went to mosque every so often, but not... We weren't, you know, uh, serious Muslims. Um, but, but of course, I do mention the fact that anti-Semitism was prevalent. Uh, misogyny was, was was prevalent. A very casual kind of anti-Americanism in the household, always uh, being warned against being corrupted by American values. Um, so that was uh, that was the the, uh, the point in my life where I said, okay, let me find out uh, what my background truly um, called for. It, it's interesting. And, uh, that's when. Yeah, it's interesting how you how, how you describe your your background. It, it's not that much different. I mean, as you describe your relationship to your religion as a Muslim, then Robert and I have perhaps described ours in some degree to our Roman Catholic upbringing, where um, you know, yeah, I think I've got a Bible in the house, and I even think I have a Koran in the house. But whether I relate to them as a personal value system, I don't know that that's the case. Um, I was surprised to hear you say that because you have a great and fascinating essay that I want to talk a little bit about later, you know, from the Daily Mailer, which you open up and you say, my name is Bosch and I'm a recovering Muslim. Um, you don't, are, are you recovering? Because you don't sound you had, like you had the most extreme upbringing from being brought up no, in the Bronx, etc. No, but it, it was enough where, you know, um, again, the anti-Semitism took form in the fact that uh, there was an admiration for Hitler in my household in my uh, in, in my immediate family and even other other cousins, it was very casual. Uh, the Jew hatred and the fact that this man who murdered six million Jews was a considered a hero. Uh, and you don't have to be a devout Muslim to believe that. And that's what I, I think is a real problem with Islam because it's so evil that it poisons even the least casual you know Muslims. I mean, the the least devout Muslims, even in America, and also the misogyny, you know, the uh, casual wife beating. It was very rare for a cousin of mine not to beat his wife. Uh, the, you know, they um, even brother. This is pretty. You know, I don't know if this is common for any other culture, but brother-in-laws going going together and looking out, looking for women together. You know, the kind of absolute disrespect for women that comes from from uh, Islam and shows itself in very ugly ways. And uh, you know, the uh, the violence, the uh, typical violence. Still, uh, the father usually beat up beat up his family, including his wife. Street fights, uh, kids. It was very common for whatever reason. I mean, uh, they were again. They were they weren't about Muslims, but they. It was something about the religion that poisoned even those least observant. Now, Bosch, um, from my understanding, my limited understanding of Islam, it's actually quite the uh, offense to reject Islam once you are a Muslim. How have you been yeah. treated by your family and other Muslims because of your uh, rejection of it? Well, they're not, uh, you know, they're, we don't have to, we don't have a great relationship. Uh, I rarely see them, so I can't say. Um, I'm uh, pretty, pretty far away from them. I don't have much, much contact. 
they're not crazy about it. They don't, they don't necessarily like my work, especially with my uh, Pigman character. They don't, they don't like that. Uh, but nothing. I've, I've not gotten any direct, uh, you know, uh, threats by by them not at all. Well, that's good to hear. Is there any? Yeah, do you think there's any um, room in a Western society? for Islam? I mean, when I think of Islam, I can think of three different aspects to it. Of course, there's the Sharia law, which in my opinion has absolutely no place in a Western culture. There yeah. is the culture itself, and I'm talking about things of, uh, like the language, the dress, the food, those uh, innocuous things, but then there's the religion. Um, in a pluralistic society, such as the West that we have here in Canada and the United States, isn't there not a, a room for a religious belief like Islam? Well, you know, I mean, think about Islam. People say, well, uh, they, they can. Um, it's like a personal religion. It's not a personal religion at all. It really isn't. It's uh, it's like it's naturally totalitarian to the point where if you're devout, you're going to try to push it down the throats of those who are, who are not Muslim in any capacity that you can, whether it's from Islamic groups, whether it's from uh, mosques, you know, whether it's from individuals who just uh, feel so such a desire to force Islam in, into the world. And if you're a Muslim who just goes to mosque every so often and uh, doesn't take the religion seriously, fine. That's my kind of Muslim. That's the kind that I, you know, I don't mind. But as soon as they take it seriously, um, and you, you know, it's always minority that needs to take it seriously for it to be a major problem. And that's why, you know, when I refer to Islam, I always use the term Islam. I never use all the euphemisms that people use, the prefixes and suffixes that they, you know, try to protect it. But uh, it's you know, the organized Islam when it comes to the mosques when it comes to uh, Islamic groups, when it comes to terrorist groups, when it comes to countries that are run by Islam, that's the real, real problem. And uh, they always find a way to try to get some individuals, especially those who seem easily um, influenced, uh, like mosques, you know, imams can see certain individuals that they're a little more serious than uh, than other Muslims. They take them under their wing and they, you know, put these uh, Islamic teachings in their head and they act on them every so often. When, when you know, that's that's when the lone wolf comes into in, into play. Right now, you know, when you say that people who take um, their religion a little too seriously become a problem, I almost think you could say that about many religions in terms of the fundam- fundamentalists. And how I how I um, how I have in the past related to that, you know, taking it too seriously. I, I've always found that that ends up being. What I see is literalism, taking perhaps something meant yeah. as a symbol, symbol and turning it into a literal thing and then going with yeah. it from there with all the natural ramifications that would happen. Is that what you mean by when you say take it seriously, or do you mean something very yeah. different? You do. No, that's, that, yeah, that is what I mean. And, uh, but, you know, there's a difference when, when it comes to those who follow the teachings of Jesus you know, directly, when it comes to following him, the man himself. They can't find themselves flying planes into buildings in the name of Jesus. Whereas Muslims can. Not that Muhammad flew, literally flew planes and buildings, but Muhammad was a violent man. And they act on that. They say, well, you know, the perfect man was a violent man, so therefore, you know, if I'm violent, it's, it's justified. You know, whatever Muhammad did was good by the, by, the, by the fact that he did it. And, you know, it, what it comes down to, you know, the only reason we're talking about Islam is because of jihad, is because of 9-11, is because of every attack in the West, is because of individuals who, who uh, blow up in, the, in the, you know, shopping mm. malls and... That's the only reason why we're talking about Islam. Uh, there, there is nothing within Islam that I guess that can get us to talk. Now, the, unless it's uh, 
Now, isn't that seen largely by North Americans, though, as a problem overseas in the Middle East countries and not really here when you're talking on that well, so level? so far. Yeah. So far, fortunately. And do you see it coming so here? Do you, see, do you see these things happening in all Islamic countries, not just the Arab ones? Well, I mean, I, I see it happening uh, in, you know, eventually here. Because we're not, uh, we're not taking it seriously. We're, we're trying to pretend that Islam isn't what it is. And we can negotiate with it. We can deal with it. We can moderate it. And we can't. Um, we have to, you know, go after the states who sponsor terrorism first and foremost. Uh, you know, take those out and then go from there. And then just identify as long as it is not what we all want it to be. Uh, thank you, Bosch. We're just about to head into the break here, and uh, when we come back, we'd like to get into some of your work, your graphic novels, and uh, awesome stuff, by the way. Yes, I really enjoyed them. Thank you. Okay, so let's go, let's thank take a break, and be back in a few minutes. I kind of blame the media for what's going on wrong in the world right now, because they kind of just perpetuate stereotypes about people. They don't tell you that's what they're doing. They don't go, "Hey, this is what you need to think," but they know how people's brains work. What they do is they'll show you an image of somebody of a different racial background, and then they'll show you an alternate image, like right away, of something completely different. They don't say the two images are together, they kind of present it like, what do you think? <laughs> like what they do is they'll show you like an Asian guy, and then a car accident. <laughs> they'll show you an Indian guy and a 7-Eleven. What do you think? Let's show you an Arab guy and an explosion. <laughs> I knew it, you know. That's how they get in your head. They put, they put it in there. And whenever they show you like Arabic being spoken on TV, it's always like these crazy people in these protests in the Arab world. And they're all speaking this really harsh Arabic. And so I was like, <laughs> Because I had this whole impression in my head that Arabic was such an ugly language because it's always like, <laughs> and people are like, oh my God, no wonder they're angry. They're vomiting at each other when they talk. <laughs> then you go to the Middle East and you hear real Arabs speaking Arabic and it sounds nice. I was actually turned on by it. Because I was at this cafe in Dubai, and I'm just chilling, right? And there's these two Arab girls having a conversation behind me, and I'm eavesdropping. I have no clue what they're saying. But it sounded nice to me. Because all I hear behind me is, And I was like, oh, God, this is good. Oh. But they never show you those Arabs on TV because they're boring. They only show you the crazy. <laughs> Basically, all they're showing you of the Arab world are the rednecks of the Arab world. That's why their Arabic is so bad. Welcome back to Just Trade. And are you still with us, Bosch? Yes, sir. Excellent. Did you happen to hear that clip as Russell Peters was the comedian talking about uh, the Arabic language and how uh, we have a nasty impression on uh, Arabs because that's basically the, the Arabs that they portray are the nasty ones and not the people who are just living their daily lives. Well, they're the dominant ones. You know, They're the ones who really rule the culture. They're the ones we have to worry about. 
Yeah, absolutely. But just to get into some of your work here, I have in front of me your uh, your first graphic novel, Table for One, it's called, and uh, also Propaganda, with the emphasis on the word pig. I, I, I imagine that's an obvious insult, uh, insult to Islam, insult, yeah. using the word pig absolutely. and uh, having pig man as the uh, No, that one I hadn't seen before. I had seen Infidel. And, and Infidel. That is yeah. just amazing. It it's, is, actually. Grabbed me right yeah. from the first frame. Yeah. Now, just um, why don't you just let everybody know where they can get your work. Well, they can get my work at my blog, uh, mainly it's uh, Faustin.blogspot.com. And uh, Faustin is... from me. Right, Faustin spelled... F, sorry, yeah. F-A-W-S-T-I-N. Right, so Faustin.blogspot.com. Perfect, right. yeah. And uh, you, also Amazon, you know, if people want to go that that route. Uh, but if you get it from me, from me, I, I signed it sometimes. I put a slip in a little index card, sketch of Pigman. Oh, added bonus. And, Excellent. Yep. I was just going through again, like I said, table for one, and what really struck me was, I don't know if this is um, fair to say, but how Randian the dialogue is, how black and white, yeah. how, how absolutely clear the morality is in your stories. And one of the scenes that really stuck with me, and I have it in front of me here now, is in the restaurant scene where you see the banter going on between all the restaurant patrons and how banal it is and how immoral it is. And you have your central character just standing there, basically shaking. He said, shaking his head and saying that um, he walked into the crowded room, not a soul in sight. <laughs> I love that right. line. That's absolutely excellent. <laughs> so, when did you start your graphic novel career? Can you talk about that for a bit? Sure. It was uh, for years. I I tried to. Um, I mean, I fell in love with comics when I was in the Bronx as a kid. I fell in love with comic books, superheroes. But uh, in my teens, late teens, I was thinking about maybe being a, an, an actor, being a director, being a singer, being all different types of things. I just, I loved music and art. And until uh, I decided, you know what, uh, my first love is comics. I, I would rather do that than anything. So then uh, I said, okay, well, I've studied uh, art all, all my life, but I wanted to get some formal training. So I went to the School of Visual Arts, late 90s, early 2000s. And uh, I decided I, w I was working in a restaurant for years, so I said, you know what, I want to use this as a backdrop. You know, they they say write what you know, right, and, what that's, you know and that's fine. But I, but I I liked it because it's I can have a little mini society of the restaurant and put my kind of hero involved with it, with it, you know the kind of uh, really crazy characters in there that I have, and just to see how they how they clash. And it was fun. It was fun to do. It was early two thousands. I got the endorsement of my favorite cartoonist of all time, uh, Alex Toth, who, who, I, who I think is the greatest illustrator to ever work in comics. And he loved it, and he gave me a great endorsement for it. And then from there, um, I was nominated for an award, for, for two awards, as you mentioned, the Eisner Award. And uh, I just I said, okay, this is going to be it. I'm going to you know, write and draw uh, comic books for the rest of my life, graphic novels in particular. That's, that's, that's my thing. I, I like to do the, the full-form stories. Mm-hmm. Um, but right now with the infidel, I'm, I'm serializing it chapter by chapter until I can collect it into a book form later on. Well, you left it with a cliffhanger that first episode, I can tell yeah, you. Yeah. Quite literally. literally a cliffhanger. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, 
were, were there were there any other comic book heroes that, that that interested you before you really got into into it yourself? I know that when I grew up as a kid, I first discovered. Now this is going back to the late '60s, early '70s, when Marvel Comics broke away from the DC group and created so many of these new heroes that we see on our TV screens today. And when I was reading them, nobody ever heard about Spider-Man or Fantastic Four, oh, yeah. uh, and it's just exploded into. Um, well, a major influential medium, to say the least, and and uh, yes. And, wh- wh- where where was your background before you got into it yourself, or were you not even reading comic books? I don't even know. <laughs> I was actually, yeah. Uh, my brother brought them home, and uh, it was Spider Man, of course, the Hulk, uh, Batman, Superman. But I, I leaned towards Marvel more so when I was younger, mm-hmm. uh, until the Marvel artists moved over to DC Comics, Frank Miller and John Byrne. Then I fought, then I went to a DC after because the you know the artists were so great but spider-man was a was you know probably the one and then daredevil under under frank frank, frank miller's writing and drawing i thought he was a great character that, that's amazing uh, you, but, you, went, you went the same route i did exactly spider-man yeah. was my favorite now of course we know Absolutely. that steve ditko was one of the original artists on that strip yeah. and he was a big ayn rand fan he did a character mr mr a were you familiar with yeah. that character Oh, later on. Oh. Later on. I definitely found out about it after the fact. The question, Mr. A. Um, and, you know, I, I, uh, I, loved his, I loved his taking those ideas into the mainstream, but uh, I, I just, I still, uh, I, can't go over, I can't get over the fact that he didn't integrate it enough within the storytelling, you know, the character itself and how he went uh, and how he said what he said and did what he did. I mean, he's literally, he's literally punching out guys, giving them philosophical lessons. Yes. And uh, <laughs> well, you could you do know, that I, in comic books. <laughs> I mean, I guess you could. But I just even when I was young, I was like, come on, you know, integrate it better, and you can, you know. But but still, the fact that that character was out there and he was pretty ruthless mm-hmm. was pretty rare. Oh. He, he he got a lot of hate for it, especially it's... when he allowed bad guys to die, not outright kill them, but even that he allowed them to die was was considered terrible. Yes, and I actually yeah. enjoyed that aspect of uh, Mr. A. <laughs> <laughs> you cruel person, you. No, it's absolutely that was, that was refreshing. Of it. <laughs> totally yeah, it refreshing. It really was. Um, as a matter of really fact, was. I think you're totally bang on when you come to your perception of Mr. Ray. Very one-dimensional, in fact, that yeah. here's the character already established, and we don't have enough background internalization to yeah. understand the man himself. I don't know that was it was really intended to be anything bigger. I don't know if what Perhaps Steve not. did cohabit. I guess not. Here. I mean, because there was not a real character there. It no. was a philosophical abstraction. He was, he was out there and he was fighting evil in a very, very clear ways. We wore all white. And uh, it was, I mean, it was, it was stark as hell. I mean, visually yeah. even. And, and, uh, was, and uh, there's a little bit of that, that that I saw in your art too, and so I was wondering if you were influenced one way or the other, and it sounds like it was the other way oh, around. Oh, yeah. I did go. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Amazing. I mean, he was, uh, you know, those Spider-Man issues, they still hold up well. I mean, they were they were phenomenal. I, I read them all back to back recently. And they're just they're the best Spider-Man stories and art that and you know, I I, I did prefer later on John John Romita Sr.'s version because it was a perfected version of Ditko's where it comes with the Me too. with the webbing yeah. it was all. But looking at the, you know, Ditko the way he made him move around the city, nobody has been able to to capture that. Like, like he's a, you know, someone said, uh, I think Paul Smith, the artist, said, like he's a ball bouncing through the city. It was beautiful. Interesting. That's a subtlety I don't even know if I would have picked up how he was actually bouncing <laughs> through the city. That's yeah, more of a technical so, thing, I guess. So well done. Yes. Only a graphics artist may pick that up. I don't know if that's a technical issue. Right. 
Where do you see um, graphic novels going? I know that they've always been on the cutting edge of um, pushing the envelope of free speech. And matter of fact, I think they were actually banned in Canada. Uh, crime comics and things of that nature back. Uh, well, we still have believe it, we have believe it or not back in the 1930s they put in the Criminal Code of Canada section banning crime comics and a comic a crime wow. comic is any depiction depicting the commission of a crime and that would be almost any comic book. <laughs> Absolutely, right. so yeah. yours would have been banned in our I'd, country. But luckily, oh, yeah. we they came across the border fine, Bosch. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. No, they don't. They don't. They don't enforce that one anymore. I don't think. No, but isn't what? What is your impression of that? And free speech and graphic novels and comic books. Well, I mean, uh, we do have free speech, and we have to use it. And just you know, I I I work in a way where I pretend that I I, I guess I'm all. You know, you tell the truth, you tell whatever you believe, and you just pretend that political, political correctness doesn't exist because we still live in a free country and we can still do it. So you just bypass any kind of norm that they want to impose on us. And that's why, you know, my story is as it is. I mean, it, it's not vulgar, it's not, pro, it's, it's a little profane. I mean, I have a cursor too, but it's telling the truth that I understand to be true and I want to express it in my story to hell with who thinks otherwise. You know, it, it is what it is. The characters are very, very direct in what they say and what they think. And again, it's, um, you know, you just, you, if you acknowledge political correctness, then you cripple your work. Too many artists do that. And it's uh, it's a self-censorship that they're trying to impose as well, trying to make us, you know, get in, in our heads where we won't even write these things. So, so they don't have to bother to, to, to try you know, to control them. And, uh, you know, there's uh, Frank Miller. He's probably the most popular comic book artist and writer of our, of our day. And he released a graphic novel months ago called Holy Terror that takes on jihad as well. Um, he wasn't uh, as explicit as I would prefer about certain things, but he was very explicit when it came to the visuals and what he and the enemy that, that he was taking on. And that was a, a big thing to see that happen because uh, here I am. I'm a relative unknown um, I, I did end up on, on The Daily Show, but it's, it was because of my work. I wonder if you can explain that a bit, because that was uh, came out of uh, the Batman and Batman's... Uh, yeah. Yeah, can you explain a bit about that, why you got sure. on The Daily Show? Yeah, I, I, I was working for um, David... I do work for David Horowitz's uh, Freedom Center for Front Page Magazine and for his old blog called Newsweek Blog. And there was a story in DC Comics that Batman recruited a uh, a Muslim to be his French counterpart. And my reaction was, you know, of all people, why did he pick a Muslim? So then I made a, I made a cartoon of Batman in the Batcave bemoaning the fact that his French Batman blew up the Eiffel Tower. And then you have uh, Alfred holding a Quran. He goes, Master Bruce, I, I implored you to study Islam before you recruited a devout Muslim, you know. He was almost mocking him. And then at the bottom of the cartoon, you have the Joker laughing, cackling, and saying, Islam means peace. And uh, in my little piece, I, I wrote, if you're as sick and tired of this Islamic crap as I am, uh, check out my work with Pigman and the Infidel. And I think it was that word, <clears throat> literally, <clears throat> Islamic crap, which got the notice of the Daily Show producer. Because he called me up and he interviewed me for a few hours. It was two two of them. And they wanted to have me on. And yeah, their their purpose is to mock and, and undermine. But my purpose was to get Pigman and the Infidel and these ideas out there. And it was a you know a trade in that sense. And I said, well, yeah, they'll they'll do what they can, but I'll, at least I'll have my say. And they can cut it, they can edit it any which way, but it'll be out there. And it was great. Uh, I went there. It was a three-hour shoot. Ended up being a three minutes on the air. And they uh, stealthily brought in their you know Muslim liberal 
in, interviewer, uh, Asad Manvi. Uh, they didn't tell me that until I got there, which was, of course, you know, it's underhanded, but it is it is the show. Mm-hmm. So I went there, we went back and forth, and they did cut out this one thing that I did say, because he said, what's wrong with the Muslim Batman? So my original answer was, what's wrong with Batman during World War II uh, recruiting a German Batman with no mention of the, of the Nazis and what's going on? I said, what's wrong with that? It's an absolute denial of the reality that we're facing. The only reason why there is a Muslim Batman is because of 9-11. But of course, they're, they're hiding any kind of mention of what happened and why there's a Muslim Batman. But it was, uh, it was important to get out there Regardless, I mean, I've had friends tell me you shouldn't have done it. I have friends said, you know, they mocked you. Yeah, I knew that going in. But again, the the word got out. Pigman is out there in a bigger way than I, than I could have done otherwise. And I, I've had a tough time trying to get traction. Even agents, publishers, producers, who were you know agents, editors, and and uh, publishers who were interested in the infidel cited Muslim reprisal as a reason to back off. Uh, but now, after my dealership appearance, I had an old agent that I was involved with who is unofficially representing the infidel because of that, that appearance. So, in that sense, absolutely worth it. Excellent. Well, way, way to go. Uh, sometimes shock sells. Well, actually, yeah. we're at the bottom of the hour. We're going to take another little break here with some promos as well. And when we come back, Bosch, look, what, perhaps we can talk about politics, and, and in particular the uh, GOP um, primaries down in your country. and. Sure. Uh, and the Islamic connection there as well. So we'll be back in a couple of minutes. People, people snapped after September 11th. The one who truly snapped, the leader of the snap, was Jerry Falwell. Jerry Falwell was crazy before, and if you didn't know that, I'd like you to wear aluminum foil so we know who you are. (laughs) Jerry Falwell said that the reason that September 11th happened, the reason that God allowed it to happen, was because of certain people in our country. People like, and I'm quoting, the Pagans, which is a motorcycle group. (laughs) Feminists. He brought up feminists. He used the word even. God, I thought I haven't heard that word in a while. Did he really think it was feminists? Is that what upset God? Did women a number of years ago had decided to leave the kitchen and go into the workplace and demand equal wages and demand power equal to a man? That's what upset God? That God looked down into the kitchen and there was not a stew on the oven? And the spice rack was in disarray and he said, I will smoke them. And, and I couldn't believe it. He said that God had actually talked to him and said, these were the people. That was the reason. It was those people, and that was why God allowed this to happen. And I thought, well, that's odd, because God had called me 12 hours before. <laughs> and he said the reason that he was upset was because of people like Jerry Fowler.
experience of major disputes in other presidential debates with Republican candidates over U.S. policy towards Iran. Last week, the Justice Department said that Iran... Uh, at the highest levels, they didn't go how high, at the highest levels, they said, was seeking to assassinate the Saudi ambassador in Washington. If you were president and that report came to you from your CIA, your Justice Department, your FBI, what would you do about that? I'd uh, check it very carefully for the facts because now the facts are, are filtering out. They've arrested him, and that's fine. He could be a very dangerous person. Maybe he'll get a day in court, but I predict they won't because I, th I don't think they have much concrete evidence. But at least he's captured, and he's in, in a court, and there's going to do it. But well, the why do you think they don't have Because various Republicans and Democrats, uh, Mike Rogers, the chairman of the House Intelligence Committee, you know him, he believes that these, uh, these, the evidence is strong. Diane Feinstein, the chair I think it's, well, I think it's, I think it's mostly war propaganda. They've been itching to go to war against Iran for a long, long time. This is exactly what they did leading up to the war in Iraq, and the, and the danger was not there. I don't think the Iranians were that stupid. Welcome back to Just Right on CHRW 94.9 FM, where you can call to join in on the conversation at 519-661-3600. You can also email us at feedback at justrightmedia.org with your thoughts. We're on the line with... Um, graphic novelist Bosch Faustin calling from California and um, Bosch, you're interested I think from the, my following of you on Facebook in the uh, GOP primaries specifically about Ron Paul. What is it about Ron Paul that upsets you? He's uh, dangerous uh, to us. If he becomes president, um, he'd be arguably worse than Barack Obama. And, you know, he makes Barack Obama look like a hawk. He actually, uh, he thinks Iran has nothing to do with their war against us. They, they're the, they're, you know, they're the aggressors for 30 years. They've been looking for a nuke for 30 years. We haven't responded to, to them, but in his mind, we we did something to make them at war with us. And it's, uh, it's pretty scary. He has no inkling about what Islam means, what Iran intends and uh, in a world where ev all the available information, you know, all the information is available, him to be that ignorant about it is pretty scary. He's in his 70s, running for president. It's fourth or fifth time running for president. He can't make sense of that. And it will bury him, his foreign policy. And, you know, he just clearly does, doesn't give a damn. You know, whatever, whatever value that he has and what, when it comes to domestic issues and economics, he feels that. I guess it's not important enough because it, it, it will be trumped by his irrationality when it comes to the foreign policy. That's what I am uh, just understanding now. Now, of course, I'm not an American, so I have no direct input into this discussion about the GOP primaries. But on Facebook, and this is where we do a lot of our discussions, um, you put up anything about Ron Paul and the objectivists slash libertarians out there, and I really don't want to group the two together, of course, because they're not the same, but that group... Are, seem to be diametrically at war with each other, saying that, look, Ron Paul is the best candidate because of his economic policies. And I have to admit that when I saw Ron Paul's talking about cutting a trillion dollars, getting rid of five Absolutely. departments, all that, I say, hey, that's fantastic. I wish somebody no else doubt. had the no one to do else that. Is willing to say that. No but what else. you're saying is that the fact that he would be appeasing enemies who would want to actually destroy the United States trumps anything else he might say. Is that right? Anything yeah. and everything. And he just comes off like a crazy man. I mean, he really does. If you see his interviews, he starts to giggle when he talks about it. As if we, he goes, we've been really, really itching to go to war with them. It's like, we have been? That, we've that, been, I mean. 
I guess I guess what matters in America is what do the American people think? Is this you know especially among those who find Ron Paul the answer to the thing they're looking for? And where else can they look? This is this is part of the problem. Are we getting? Yeah. Are you getting a different bag of uh, of mix of good and bad things with the other candidates? I mean, if he can push the other guys to say what he says about cutting a trillion dollars, if he can really corner them, push them, but it, he he loses all credibility in his foreign policy, so he can't even do that. If he was credible in his foreign policy, he might even win, first of all, but if not, he might really push them because they, they will find him a credible individual and say, oh, okay, that works. The audience loves mm-hmm. it. They all applaud. And we all do. As Americans, we want to cut spending like crazy, and he's the only one talking that kind of language. What about Mr. But Huntsman? goes over it. Uh, I don't care for him. I think he's a weak. I think he's a um, real politician. He comes off as really slick, and uh, he always is. He always he's always preoccupied with China. He always brings up China. He shoehorns it into any conversation that that he's in. Well, that's his forte, and, uh, though, isn't it? He does even speak Mandarin. Is. Yeah, he does literally. Yes. Uh, fortunately, I didn't hear it because someone said that he spoke it, and I just I find him grating. Just as a as a as a personality. Is there any particular Besides candidate you'd support? Uh, well, the the candidate I did support that is not running was John Bolton. Mm. Uh, he was talking about possibly running. I, I even drew a campaign poster for him, and uh, I I think he's very articulate, he's very smart. He understands the Middle East. He understands America. He understands our place in the world, and uh, he didn't run. <clears throat> and I, I heard the old day that he's endorsing Mitt Romney, which. I find curious because it's, you know, one about Mitt Romney, uh, someone who, you know, he's basically he's a Democrat and he, you know, installed socialized medicine in Massachusetts. And the way with Mitt Romney, if only, I mean, the thing about Mitt Romney, I think you can, if you love freedom, if you love America, you can only vote for him if he's up against Barack Obama quietly in that booth. You don't talk about it. You don't, you don't brag about it. He sure as hell don't endorse him. Mm-hmm. So I don't know why he publicly endorsed Mitt, Mitt Romney. You know, you, you only go there if, if he's the only one against Obama because he's technically better than Obama, quote-unquote. Right, so, so, so it. like anybody but Obama. Yeah. Except is. for Ron I mean, Paul. <laughs> yeah, you know what? Yeah, in the foreign policy, even though if it came to the moment of truth, I can't even say exactly which way I would go. Mm. And I mean that because uh, Barack Obama is so self-destructive, you know, with his own life and, and with our country that... I don't know. Uh, he, um, he, you know, he's capable of probably doing something again to appease the right. He might go after Iran. I mean, there's a possibility that he might go after Iran and within this year in order to get the right on his side and then go for the kill in his next term. Uh, I wouldn't put it past him at all. And every time he does something that's seemingly American, like taking out Osama bin Laden, um, people say, "Well, you got to give it to him," and then they start thinking that he's okay. Well, he's not okay. That's what American president's supposed to do. He's supposed to take out our enemies. Do you really but think he, he had anything over. to do with it, and it wasn't just the the brass in the back room who? Well, oh, yeah. That? I mean, I think, I think he could not stop it, you mm-hmm. know, and he allowed it in that sense to happen. So, but still, people gave him credit. He took credit clearly. Um, so he, you know, he could not stop it from happening, at least. Bosch, you you live in California, right? So, and, and we're in Canada, and I think these are two of the most politically correct jurisdictions in North America, perhaps. Oh, yeah. Do you have the and and many of the laws and and things that come up to Canada? We'll, we always find out occurred in California first. 
and we, right. we have a thing we have a thing up here called uh, human rights commissions and freedom of speech is always an issue yeah. and sometimes discussing the very issue we're talking about now has gotten people in this country in a little bit of trouble with human rights commissions particularly if it's believe it or not on the internet and I was wondering if you have a similar problem in the state of California or in other critical states that you're aware of. I believe there, there have been. I just uh, I haven't heard of many stories, uh, at least, about artists doing uh, going against Islam and jihad. And uh, I think it's happened in certain areas, but California, not yet, for me at least, or for anyone around here, at least on the radar. Mm-hmm. Maybe there, are, it, maybe it's a quiet case that that's happening possibly i mean there was that one girl she called for uh you know draw muhammad day and she uh i forgot i forgot her name molly norris molly norris i think from seattle she's everybody draw muhammad day and uh i drew it and a lot of people drew it and she backed out a day after and that's when they really went after her uh muslims they were threatening her death threats so she had to change her name and 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 go on a limb uh so that's i guess one case of that but um I don't know. I mean, again, we still live in a free country, a relatively free country. We still have the right to say, to tell the truth. And we just have to keep doing that. We, we have to say it. Well, I have to ad- admire I, the United States for that, because we do not have that in Canada. As a matter of fact, people like Merrick Stein, Ezra Levand, yeah. have been actually brought in front of these kangaroo courts uh, to for account for discussing this issue. So we're actually publishing a cartoon of Muhammad as well, by the way, that very issue. I just, you know, if I find it hard to believe, I know it's true. I know that, but I just find it so hard to believe that a civilized country would still do that today. There's mm-hmm. a lot of people fighting back, though. I mean, I, I believe that, no doubt. You know, this is, this is just, it's, it's, it's incredible. I mean, I just, um, it's like we're trying to, be, you know, we're trying to respect Sharia law within our own civilized countries. As a matter of fact, because wasn't Sharia there just something recently saying that the federal court in the United States has? Yes. Um, regarding Sharia law, said that you cannot Oklahoma, disregard yeah. it. Yeah, it's actually right. quite scary is, that particular decision. It is very, very scary because it, it is anti-freedom. It is I call it Sharia crime. You know, it is uh, it's it's organized crime, organized Islam, and to say that that is acceptable in America, I mean, this is it was unthinkable years ago, unthinkable. And if you think about the position that Islam and Muslims have today, as opposed to you know pre nine eleven, it's like they've they've had more influence, they've had more power um, post nine eleven than they had pre nine eleven. It's just it's absolute appeasement. Mm-hmm. Well, we're going to take a, a little break here. We're going to take another little break here, Bosch. And when we come back, if we can discuss things like what can we do in the West, what positive, yeah. concrete things we can do. We know what you're doing with your graphic novels, which is phenomenal. But on a political level, we'd really like to have your thoughts on that. But we'll discuss that in a couple of minutes. We'll be back right after this. But the biggest threat that we face comes from terrorist attacks, some of which are sadly carried out by our own citizens. It is important to stress that terrorism is not linked exclusively to any one religion or ethnic group. My country, the United Kingdom, still faces threats from dissident Republicans in Northern Ireland. Anarchist attacks have occurred recently in Greece and in Italy. And of course, yourselves in Germany were long scarred by terrorism from the Red Army faction. Nevertheless, we should acknowledge that this threat comes in Europe overwhelmingly from young men who follow a completely perverse, warped interpretation of Islam and who are prepared to blow themselves up and kill their fellow citizens. 
cleaner and cleaner, huh? I know. Well, we're trying to raise the level of society. In the first round, question worth anywhere from $50 to $150. Contestants, please, Buffy, pick a topic. Get back Honky Cat Stevens. $50 question. In 1977, singer Cat Stevens formally embraced what religion? Ryan, please. Islam. Islam it is. Well done, sir. $50 follow-up. After changing his name to Yusuf Islam, Cat Stevens reportedly endorsed the execution of what author? Salman Rushdie. Very good, very good. Okay, our new category. Welcome back to Just Right, and we're on the line with Bosch Faustin, the graphic novelist from California. And Bosch, that was Ben Stein. Isn't that funny that he was actually on a, uh, a show with Ron Paul, Ron Paul actually beating up on Ben Stein, two Republicans fighting each other. Is that right? I didn't even know about that. Yeah. So, Ron, what is... Um, Bosch, what? sorry. Ron. <laughs> what an insult to call you, Ron. Um, Bosch, what are your thoughts on, th on something like Iran and maybe a preemptive strike? Yeah, um, I think uh, Iran has been at war with us for 30-plus years. They have, uh, you know, way, they, they have committed acts of war against us from the hostage-taking to killing, um, you know, American soldiers, uh, Marines through Hezbollah. 19, what was it, 81, I believe, 241 Marines were, were killed. They're, they're, they're killing American soldiers in Iraq through these terrorist groups. They have been at war with us for 30-plus years. We have every right to preempt, to do whatever we have to do to stop them from getting a nuke. And again, uh, Ron Paul says, when he was asked, what would you do to stop everyone from getting a nuke? He goes, we can offer them friendship. Literally said that. We can offer them friendship. So this is, uh, we have to stop them by any means necessary, whatever it takes. And we have to, uh, you know, flip that country into something that's not, that's not a threat to us. Now, do you think, uh, just recently, there was a nuclear physicist over in Iran, an Iranian nuclear physicist who was assassinated, and it was thought that it was probably Israel-slash-American uh, an assassination, yeah. which I, I applaud. So. I yeah. applaud that, because uh, any anyone who's helping Iran uh, develop a nuclear weapon, a country that who ha a country which has an official... Um, What's the, what's the word for down with America or, or death to America day? Uh, death to America, right. That's an, official, yeah. an official death to America yeah. day with a nuclear weapon. I think that all the nuclear physicists over there are legitimate targets in this war, this Absolutely. jihad that they are actually starting. You know, but, and then the sick thing, though, is America, the State Department, uh, swore they had nothing to do with it yesterday. Why would they say that? Even if they didn't or they did, keep it quiet. To let them think what they will. This is insane. We are at war. This is, uh, you know, we all tend to tend to overlook that, but uh, to to outright deny that is just stupid. So, what Whether should the West be doing, Bosch? What should the West be doing in things uh, in things like immigration, multiculturalism, concessions to Muslims for their religious beliefs? Well, you know, we should just start telling the truth, and also, and sometimes the truth is, from a politician to say, I have no idea what Islam means, what jihad is, what Sharia law is. I have no idea. So therefore, let me find out, let's find out, and let's talk about it, and let's deal with this. Because they're you know, acting on the premise that Islam means peace. Therefore, whenever there's a problem, we must make Islams, you know, we must make Muslims angry enough to kill us. It's, it, it's us, it's, it's not Islam. It has where nothing did, to do with that. Where did that come into, uh, into common usage, that Islam means peace? The word itself, from my understanding, means submission. Yes, literally submission to the will of Allah, the malevolent God. 
So I think it's probably a, 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 may have been a Western idea, maybe, that, that Islam oh, yeah. means peace. I don't know where they got that, yeah. but it's wrong. No, they, you know, Muslims have, I think they used it pre-9-11, but after 9-11, that's when it became a, a catchphrase. I call it the anti-reality check of our time. It is the ultimate uh, big lie that we're telling ourselves. Not that Muslims are telling us necessarily, even though they do use it, because they know it works on us. But uh, Bush, you know, he, he said Islam means, Islam is peace, literally said that, I think, a week or two after 9-11, knowing that he did not know what Islam meant. Uh, so in that sense, it was an absolute lie. He had no idea what it meant. But his Islamic advisor, David Forte, lied to him, told him what Islam meant, and he bought it and lied to us and to himself. And that was the beginning of, you know, this terrible lack of honesty in in our policies i mean he he crippled us by by saying that because people said okay islamic peace so it it must be us you know it must be some extreme muslims that are 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 doing their thing you know they, they have nothing to do with islam and that's just not true you know, h- handling foreign nations is one thing. How do you handle the issue on a domestic level? I think, or maybe that's what you're already doing. Is that what you're doing in terms of the work you've chosen? Is that your way of telling well, you know, the truth? Yeah, telling the truth. The truth will get us right. I mean, the truth, telling the truth about what we're facing will get others to be exposed to that truth, but they can't run away from it anymore to the point where politicians will have to be led toward towards that truth and say, okay, what are you going to do about it now? Because when you have mosques, you know, when they, you know, someone said there was a Muslim went around a mosque, I think he said 80 plus percent of mosques in America are ruled by quote unquote extremists, by a, you know, Wahhab extremists from the Saudis. Uh, that's a real problem because that means they're in on it. That means uh, organized Islam is part of the, for the greater jihad against us. What do you think about what do you think about dealing with Saudi Arabia and Pakistan and Iraq um, and well. Iran? I mean them as well. I mean we you know people say, "Well, are you a warmonger?" I'm a warmonger. No, they're the warmongers and they have to be dealt with. You Should we trade Iran with them? Saudi Arabia. Should we trade no, with absolutely them? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. They are the greatest state sponsors of terrorism. They have American blood on their hands. They have to pay a price for that. Both Saudi Arabia and Iran in particular. And if we deal with both of them, the rest might just fall like dominoes. So what, what is it in the United States that they would prefer to buy Saudi oil over Canadian oil? I mean, we have a whole huge oil sands up here, which can basically supply all Americans' I needs. It's, it's an old tradition that American presidents have been buddies with the Saudis for decades and decades. I have no idea what it means. I remember Bush couldn't wait to get a Saudi up in the cameras with him post 9-11 to say, hey, we're good. I just, I have no idea. There's something twisted about it. I mean, the Saudis, they want us destroyed like the Iranians do, but they want to pretend that they're our friends, unlike the Iranians. The Iranians say death to America. Saudis say they want to be our friends, but they kill us. So they're, they're playing a double game them, themselves. I mean, and not only that, yes, the Americans have just sold them, I think it was another 40 or 50 um, yeah. jet fighters. Military, right? Now, can I, we don't, see? I don't... Can we see the day in the future when we're actually using our own jet fighters to fight our own jet fighters? Yes, exactly right. I have no idea what that means. Um, I try to make sense of all this stuff to my own, and I just, I can't, because it's so sick and crazy. It's an absolute, the opposite of what we ought to be doing. You know, we should have made, uh, again, 15 of the 19 hijackers were Saudis. That's not by accident. You know, Mm. it's not. Uh, They, uh, one of the greatest 
sponsor of Al Qaeda is Saudi Arabia. I mean, this is this is a real, real problem. It's it's Iran and Saudi Arabia. Once they go down, once those regimes go down, once we flip them into something that's not you know um, a threat to us, then the rest probably will back down. Now, popular culture. Popular culture, much like your graphic novels or television shows, movies, and all that, I, it's my firm belief, and I'd like your, your thoughts on this as well, is that when popular culture starts to turn around the notion that, for example, Islam meets peace, uh, like with your graphic novels, um, I think it's the duty, uh, that's perhaps the wrong word, the responsibility of, of uh, truth-seeking people, creative people like yourself, to gear their art to telling the truth. And yet we have up here in Canada, for example, a show called Little Mosque on the Prairie, which is a direct I've appeasement of, yeah. of Muslims yep. here in Canada. And um, what do you think about that, about the use of art and this war, jihad? I think it's, I think it's deadly important. I think, uh, I think Churchill said something years, uh, years ago about, uh, there was a movie called Miss Minerva, I believe it was called. He said that had more to do with the morale of the British people than any kind of war propaganda that they could have created. Mm -hmm. He understood the power of arts and the, and the power of showing the truth. Uh, and, you know, artists, if, if you're honest, you can't help but respond to 9-11 and what's going on. If you're dishonest, you're going to try to completely whitewash Islam. I mean, there were, there were artists out there, post 9-11 who made it a duty, and in their mind it is a duty to exonerate Islam to show the beauty of Islam. There was, there, there's one artist named Craig Thompson just released a graphic novel called Habibi, where it, it is, uh, it's basically a love letter to Arab, the Arab world and Islam. And it's, it's just dishonest, fundamentally dishonest. He doesn't know, and he claims to have read the Quran. So, you know, if you read the Quran and become an Islamophile, I think you're more guilty than someone who doesn't know anything about it. Is there... But if you're honest, you know, you're going to go and tell the truth about it in your own individual way as artist. Is there a bit of a danger in the fact that, you know, by and large, art, I guess, appeals more to the emotion than, than to the intellect, yeah. unless there's something very explicitly intellectual about it. Is that a risk in art, or is that why there, there's... Possibly. Because... I mean, possibly. I, you know, I, I um, my, my whole thing is, I mean, post 9-11, I knew I emotionally had to respond to this. I, I felt a, almost a compulsion. I said, I have to tell the truth about this, mm -hmm. especially after I found it, you know, found it the truth. But I, believe me, uh, I had, I figured out, yeah, these guys are Muslims, and they're probably in, in sync with Islam, but I, I wanted to find out for sure, so I read the Quran twice and read tons of books on it. But yeah, I mean, it is, art does give that power of emotion to it. It, it does have it from the artist himself and from the from the reaction to it. I mean, Pigman, it's, uh, to me, it's just, character was born from 9-11, mm -hmm. from what Islam is, from, from the fact that it, pig is you know, con condemned in Islam. We, we were raised not to eat pork, to condemn the pig it was a disgusting creature. So I said, perfect, pig man, he's a perfect response to a jihad post 9-11. And he's an ex-Muslim on, on top of that. It's interesting, over the years, whenever I am asked how can we enact some sort of, especially a cultural change, I always do turn to art basically as being the real long-term answer and one of the things I know from my own you know as I grew up was was a very popular show called Star Trek that changed a lot of people's yeah. outlook about simply having a mixture of races in the proper way right. on a show and at a it on the screen yes and at a time and, and, when it was politically incorrect no mention of it yes exactly. making no mention of, of the colors and the, and, the, and the races nothing zero yes you absolutely. know that's actually the point isn't it yeah they never did they took it as second nature. 
I never thought of it that way. Yeah, it was excellent. And I think that's that's what artists are doing in in a lot of their fields. Any big changes coming up in the art field that you see coming in the near future or things that people should be looking out for? We're coming up near the end of the hour already. I can't believe Uh, it. I don't know. I mean, uh, it it seems like this year all the Pulse 911 comic books came out, including my own, Frank Miller's, Craig Thompson, some others. I don't know. I mean, in terms of the jihad and Islam, and I don't know. I think maybe people have have said their piece, but me, I got this story to still tell. Now there's and one. It'll go on for the next year or two. We're just about at the end of the show, Bosch. But um, before we go, I'd like to, uh, for you to uh, let our listeners know how they can get hold of your work and also when and where they can listen to you because uh, you're a regular on uh, Amy Peacock's yeah. podcast as well. So why don't you right. give them that information? Thank you. Uh, the Amy Peacock show is called Don't Let It Go Unheard. It's on from um, 8 to 10 Eastern Time on Sundays uh, every week. And I, I chime in. I'm, I'm like the, uh, the, uh, the, uh, the sidekick. And then my, uh, my work is available on my blog, falston.blogspot.com. Uh, table for One, The Infidel, in digital form, and propaganda. Drawing the line against Jihad. Well Thank done. Thank you for having me on. Well, thank you for accepting our invitation. I've been following you on Facebook for such a time, and I'm going, I've got to get this fella on. He's um, he's right on the money when it comes to his political ideas and his morale, moral ideas, and he's put it into such a, a beautiful form with your graphic novels. Thank you again, Bosch. Thank you so much. Thanks for joining us. And I guess that's it for another show for another week. And here we go again. Join us again next week when we continue our journey in the right direction. Until then... Be right, stay right, do right, act right, think right, and be right back here. See you then. Color, color into black and white. Under the bed clothes, everything will be... <laughs> Just for the record, my Arab friends, I, uh, I don't do any Arab jokes in my act. It's not that I don't think you're funny. I just, you know, I don't know. I don't want to, I don't know. I don't want to die. Um... <laughs> See, because I'll do a joke about an Arab, and they'll look like they're laughing. But it's not the same laugh you're doing. Like, I'll do a joke about an Arab, and you guys will be ah, ha, 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 And you look at the Arab guy, and be like, ha, 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 ha. Oh, no, I get this funny joke. Ha, 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 ha. No, no, it's a chlum, it's funny. I get it. Ah, yeah. mm. Don't, don't worry, I will talk to him after.